finish this sentence. Assumptions are great at... I'm guessing you did not say assumptions are great at producing great products that you can actually build, that your audience loves, and will pay you gobs of money for. Unfortunately, we've all experienced new product or feature initiatives that have left us scratching our heads. Hey, we're gonna be building a whole new page editor for you all where you can build really cool, slick, you know, uh, sales pages to attract new students. Promise that publicly to customers. Promised a timeline without talking to the engineering designers and product teams on the feasibility and even what we would be building. That's Stephen Carey Chan, director of product and design at CrowdStreet. A few years ago, before CrowdStreet, Stephen worked at a leading e-learning company helping creators package their courses. It's for online creators to build their business selling knowledge. It's an idea thousands have every year. And digital technology advancements have made that easier than ever. In fact, e-learning is forecasted to hit around $850 billion a year by the end of this decade, whether that is for university classes or guitar lessons for my kids. As a market leader, life was good. But, and you know there's always a but, right? But first, I'm Nathan Isaacs, and this is Insights Unlocked from user testing. Welcome to Insights Unlocked, an original podcast from user testing, where we bring you candid conversations and stories with the thinkers, doers, and builders behind some of the most successful digital products and experiences in the world, from concept to execution. As I mentioned before the break, Stephen had started working for an e-learning platform just about the same time as COVID hit and billions of people are now locked down in their homes. It seems like a generation ago instead of just three short years. You remember all the stories about your friends and family taking up bicycling or knitting or making sourdough bread. And as more and more people were coming onto the platform with their online course ideas, Stephen was faced with a problem he inherited upon joining the company. Take a listen. It was almost like a, a reactive, impulsive attempt that had very expensive consequences of an executive, a former executive, trying to put out a fire that we were seeing in the support tickets at that company. That former executive unintentionally set the product team and roadmap down a really gnarly course by trying to alleviate the angry crowds, the mobs with, hey, we're going to do a new page editor. We hear you and we're going to do something about it before doing the due diligence with the customers on what is this, what are the specific problems? Fast forward two years because this product was not necessarily scoped to solve a specific problem. The team found themselves, uh, and this is all before I joined, found themselves on a two-year road of developing just a bunch of features in aimless directions and it was the team started to lose sight of the why what was the specific problem we were trying to solve and why did it matter now and also compared to all the other things we could be doing from course creation tools to better video hosting to better payout systems for you know affiliates and referrals for those creators and when they have 
fellow teachers, managing the money and the taxes. We could have done so many other things. Why were we still working on this page editor? That got lost. And as time continues, it makes it very hard to pull out because you just have, you've invested so much. There was this urgency and desire to say, can you just help us get this out? And it was almost, it became totally outputs driven as opposed to outcomes driven at that point. We want to get this project out so we can fulfill our promise to our creators. And we'll continue to iterate along the way, but we, we owe it to them and to ourselves. That whole urgency to ship something, it did feel like a mandate, understandably for any product manager coming into a situation like that, because you, you're, you're taking on this big snowball that's rolling down the hill. Do you really want to martyr yourself and get in front of that snowball only to get tumbled over and become a part of that big tumbling mess? Just ship something. Leah Hogan is a principal customer experience consultant at User Testing. When she's not consulting Fortune 100 companies on better ways to connect with their customers, she's lecturing on the topic at the University of Michigan. Leah, does Stephen's problem sound familiar? I think it absolutely happens on many product teams, but also not just product teams. And it's because partially one of the things that product teams are often accountable for is just pushing out code. And it's almost not important whether or not it's good or whether or not it actually aligns with a true customer need. And when I was at 4C, which is now part of Verant, one of the things that we often encountered was teams who had pushed out code because they had to meet a deadline or because they were trying to hold themselves accountable to um, a metric that didn't have anything to do with quality, but had everything to do with quantity. And what we often heard was, well, we did research, but what had not happened was that we had not done research with intention. We hadn't done it early enough to impact the product market fit decision-making. And it was more of a just let's check the box instead of let's really understand what the need is and make sure that whatever it is that we build actually is well matched to feedback that is grounded in customer insights. And so often he would say, well, what did you do research on? And people would be unable to answer that question. And that was always very frustrating as somebody comes from the background of being a researcher because you know, I take it as a given, but I think most people who are researchers by background also do, that you have to go in with some plan about what it is that you want to know so that you've got focus um, and are really matching the outcomes to what it is that you are trying to accomplish during the product development life cycle. If you're in that situation, if you're in Steven's situation and you've this has happened, right? So you, you can't unchange that. How do you dig yourself out of that hole? You know, what could what could Steven be thinking about doing? You know, we'll find out what he does, but uh, what what could you do? So the first thing that you have to do is actually to take a step back and ask people about 
what is it that you really need? And it's not a direct question, it's an indirect question. So it really is digging into that problem space and understanding what are those needs, what are those goals, and sometimes you just have to put a pin in all of your efforts to kind of make nitpicky little improvements to what it is that you've already launched and say, you know what, we actually have to go back and start building something else. And that's really hard to do. And it's not always possible to do, right? So sometimes you have to satisfice. Um, I don't like that answer. I would much rather live in that world where you've positioned yourself as a research team to work strategically with your product team to be able to help them to always be in alignment with what it is that your customers are looking for and asking for and just thinking strategically about when those insights are going to matter the most what they need to be delivered as to be the most meaningful right so not a hundred page research report but it might be a few bullet points right or a picture or a video or something that's going to be very impactful for your team, not for every team, but for the people that you are working with. So again, it's it's kind of, you still have to do that fundamental matching of what it is that people need and want at some point, even if it comes later than you'd like. Back to Steven. Fast forward and they release an iteration that, no surprise, was not well received at all. And so the negative feedback did come through and what I would do differently that I didn't do at the time was to set those expectations intently, even with my own executive. I think that was a big retrospective. Even if I shared and my team members shared, we're feeling nervous about this part or we're not feeling great about this part, or we're going to try it. How do I make the whole world, my world know about that? And that if it were up to me, my recommendation would be this, but we're deciding to go with this and that is fine. But here's here are the risks we're seeing and here's how we propose we mitigate that. So that going back to this scenario when the CEO is getting the phone call, the CEO will already know, well, I knew this call was gonna be coming. And they will be able to, instead of going into an embarrassed stakeholder who's getting blindsided by an angry customer, they can be prepared and almost play a supportive role for the product team. At that point, Steven teamed up with a product designer to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. As we started to get in front of creators, we actually built a pretty intimate cohort, uh, what, what I call, our, they were our alpha group of 10 creators. We started with them and they were creators that we followed their business very closely and we interviewed them a few times, just generatively. We didn't take an evaluative approach like, how will this page editor feature be used for you or solve your problems? But it was taking a step back to understand, okay, tell us how you're running your business. Where, what's your expertise? Oh, you train dogs? Okay, that's really cool. You're probably not necessarily a, a, mar a seasoned marketer. Cool, that's fine. You know, but you're very successful at what you do, which is selling your knowledge for teaching other people how to train their dogs at home. From those insights, Stephen and his team went back to see what they could do with the page editor to make it easier for these creators and address the problem they were having. How can we frame the problem instead to be less about us building more customization and capabilities and more about solving a problem where 
they don't have the expertise, the natural expertise and knowledge on how to design a strong page. And that's where enter user testing comes in. As they started designing and building out templates, they sought out fast feedback on colors, layouts, whether or not to have placeholder text or representative pages. And the other benefit from talking with customers was that it was a source of truth when addressing stakeholders with differing ideas. That wound up being a way more cost-effective, like we didn't have to necessarily, it helped inform what customization things we would want to at least focus on prioritizing instead of just doing anything unrelated and disparate and disconnected and no rhyme or reason. And it just, it consolidated our customization roadmap significantly, our backlog, and also it started to solve a real problem that our creators needed. You're lending me your expertise in how to sell so I can focus on creating. And it worked. When they released the templates, they were paying attention to a few success indicators. One was customer effort score. It's one of my favorites when it comes to the customer experience because you can frame the question as specific as you would like. And so we went with how easy was it or difficult on a scale of one to five, five being super easy, one being super hard. How easy was it for you to be able to publish a sales page that you feel good about? They also monitored support tickets. We, we were almost guiding the type of requests and questions on how to adjust templates and also for specific features so we could start to go deeper and enhance and optimize certain things that we believe were really important. So it helped give us a more organized, directed roadmap through the support tickets channel where we were working very closely with the customer success team on the front lines. And so we started to see some change in tone there. And they paid attention to their net promoter score. Previously, nearly half of the detractant scores came with qualitative feedback about the previous page editor. So it was just a sound, like uh, an echo chamber of what was wrong with our page editor more than anything else. So would we actually start to see at least people stop mentioning the page editor as a big pain point, as well as um, seeing the NPS score start to improve over time. And so there are many contributors to NPS, but we wanted to make sure that at least page editor was not a contributor to detraction. And so we were able to see all of that. And if they hadn't gone back and unlocked the real problems customers were having? If we hadn't done that, we would not have had what is what was a way more lightweight way to just spin up a few easy templates and then have a much more simplified roadmap and have the outcomes that we wanted, the qualitative customer outcomes. We would just be in a very different place and just potentially stuck in this spiral, this death spiral of never being enough because, and then at that point, more time passes, you don't want to pull the cord, you know, and cut your losses. So uh, it was a way to kind of put a cap on page editing and allowed this product team I was working with to focus on the course visualization experiences and the engagement features and whatnot. Now, it should be noted the product leader that set all this in motion likely was promising something they thought the customers wanted. 
Leah, how do you determine what the customers really want when they're saying one thing, but they really need something else? Yeah, it's really interesting because I think a lot of people fall into the trap of listening to what people literally say and following those instructions. And you're not an order taker from your customers, really. I mean, I think our role as product designers and researchers and developers, everybody who's responsible for that experience, is to actually really take a step back and say, in the universe, right, of things that our customers are thinking about and where they're experiencing gaps, what are those gaps? So you actually really need to, again, dig into that problem space. And instead of saying, we're going to limit the scope of what it is that we might potentially do to address a problem to what we can do with it, what exists already and within the context of the existing programs or um, I guess build processes that we already have underway, you actually need to be able to give yourself the, the breathing space of saying, let's understand the pain here. Let's connect with that pain. And is that pain telling us this or this other thing? Like, I, I always think about the example, nobody asked for the iPhone. Right. <laughs> or or uh, nobody was actually asking for a car, that first automobile. They were asking for like six horses instead of four, yeah. right? So really, innovation comes from that moment where you make that logical leap from literally listening to customers to actually connecting with them and understanding what it is that they need and building that. The um, For the executives that may be listening to this episode, uh, you know, we, we talk about this a lot internally here at User Testing. Um, it's, it's, it's A, you want to deliver products that your customers want, but B, when you deliver bad products, it just costs you more money, right? I mean, can you talk about sort of like the expense of rework and, and, and why, you know, it's not just we, we want happy customers. We also don't want to waste money, right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I actually would break that out into two different challenges. So the first is you might build something badly. Like you just, the, the code's not good. It's unstable. The flow is not quite what it is that people are looking for. And the other problem is you pick the wrong thing to build. Now, you have to rework both of those, right? And both of those, I think coming to terms really with what does fail fast mean, failing fast means saying, we're gonna put a stop to the bleeding. We're not gonna throw any more money at this problem right before we understand what we need to do to dig ourselves out of that hole. So the intent of doing user research early enough in the product development lifecycle so that you can understand that problem space better is about reducing the risk of having to do rework so that you pick the right thing to build and then also hopefully get insights into how to build it the right way. And it doesn't mean that you're only doing qualitative research. It just means that it's a part of the tools that you bring to the table to understand people. And as you start to get something into production or into beta, you can still course correct, right? Um, but 
it may help you to fail less frequently if you actually pick the right problem to solve and then solve it the right way using feedback from real people, from your not just real people, but actually your real customers. And for Stephen, what were his lessons learned? Don't be afraid to be the bearer of bad news. Take that, uh, if you feel like something's wrong or you believe something's wrong or it's not going to go well, you need to, it's like do your part and vocalize it. And don't just say it once, but like really make sure you believe that your target audience has gotten the point and that you've done everything you could. I think that that was one big one. Uh, I think another big one was just staying mindful of what you're good at with the limited resources you have. Stick to your company's strengths when you're in a scale-up, a startup or a scale-up. Don't try to do too much with the few resources you have because every single, when you make a bet in a different direction, that's going to come at a cost of taking away what you're good at. I think that a third nugget for product people in general, any researchers, is you you need to really like don't don't fall into the order taking trap. You know, like really make sure you're understanding why. Like why do you want a new editor? Oh, because it's really hard to use or oh, because it's not the same as the websites that I'm used to using. That is something, and it's it takes such... I think I had to, to stay afloat and to really survive and do okay. I had to really change how I listened to what people were saying and really always look for the subtext. Just like when you're watching a scene in a play or a movie, which was which is my background in playwriting, I had to, you have to read beneath what people are actually saying. When, when I say something like congratulations, what am I really saying there? You know, am I saying F you? Like, or, you know, am I, do I actually genuinely mean it? Blah, 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 things like that. Hopefully you get the point, but basically that is a skill set of its own. And I am still trying to find ways to coach and mentor existing team members but also vet that out and feel that out when I'm looking for a very seasoned researcher is how do you genuinely listen, not just take notes and like do uh uh-huh, uh-huh, and like next question, but that you go off script because you're set, you're very intentional about your goal of learning what is the right problem to focus on solving right now because it will pay off if you choose the right problem. There is a Mind the Product video on YouTube from a few years ago. In it, Marty Kagan, the product guru, was outlining his 10 reasons why products fail. And the two most important reasons why products fail, he said, were seeking customer validation too late and opportunity costs. Or, as he says, the missed opportunity of what you could have or should have been doing. And if you go back to earlier in Stephen's story, he hit on both points. No one really talked to the customers to see if the new page editor was needed. And then they doubled down on that bad bet 
at the expense of other opportunities. In his words, you are, you're very intentional about your goal of learning what is the right problem to focus on solving right now. Because it will pay off if you choose the right problem. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find the transcript and show notes at usertesting.com slash podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or Google Play, so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, please share it with a friend or leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, I'm Nathan Isaacs, and this is Insights Unlocked, an original podcast from user testing.